0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you as always from beautiful Lexington, Kentucky. This is Episode 7, a conversation with Tyler Van Hoos, who is the general manager at a Keen Trace Golf Club. Uh, You may recognize the name of that club because it's the host course of the PGA Tours Barbasol Championship. Uh, It's a fun conversation with Tyler about the status and business of golf right now. Through the lens of an uncommon model of the Contemporary Golf Club. Running a non-equity golf club across two separate campuses and courses that also hosts a PGA Tour event as well as other significant amateur events gives Tyler a unique insight into the the business of golf and that members and everyday golfers can appreciate. Plus, as you'll quickly discern, he's from the Appalachian Hills of Kentucky, which instantly makes his storytelling Easily 25 to 35% better right off the top. So, more on that in a moment. Before then, a reminder that the Blind Shots Podcast is a proud member of the Talking Golf Network of Shows, which you can find at TalkingGolf.com. It's only 1G in TalkingGolf.com. You can interact with this show on Twitter at Blind Shots Pod. You can find my thoughts and writings online at OneBeardedGolfer.com, and you can interact with me directly at OneBeardedGolfer.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, so feel free to reach out there. Uh, As far as some of the things we talk about on the episode, as always, we'll have pertinent links in the show notes, so do check that out. A reminder that this podcast is sponsored by me. In addition to playing, talking, and writing about golf, I'm a licensed Kentucky realtor with Rector Hayden Realtors, a Berkshire Hathaway affiliate. I've got a dual focus, working with homeowners on buying and selling homes, and also working with investors and businesses on commercial properties here in Central Kentucky. You can check me out at davidhill.rhr.com. Reach out. I'll be happy to discuss whatever real estate needs you might have here in Central Kentucky. Now back to the episode. Our discussion covers Tyler's journey in golf, trying to manage golf in a recession, uh, some of the differences between various private club models, uh, the haves and the have-nots so to speak uh, his club's philanthropic mission and what it's like to work with the pga tour and tour staff and what that process has really taught him so it's fun lighthearted hearted conversation that i think you'll enjoy tyler's easy to listen to uh, and stay engaged so here's tyler van Hoos of the keen trace golf club without further ado Now I'm speaking with Tyler Van Hoos, who is the general manager of the Keen Trace Golf Club in Nicholasville, Kentucky, just outside of Lexington. Uh, Tyler, thank you for joining me.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. Glad
0: glad to have you on here. Tell the folks, give me the the quick bio on you, how you you arrived uh, in golf. Did you grow up with it?
1: Uh, So I did. I started playing golf when I was about 12 or 13 years old. And honestly, it's kind of funny. It was just a, somewhat by happenstance. I don't, I've don't. i got some extended relatives that play golf, but I'm the only person in my family that plays golf. Only one that's really ever even been around the game. My dad would go over to our local um, country club, if you will. I'm originally from Paintsville, Kentucky, proud Eastern Kentuckian, as you'll hear in my accent. I've never gotten rid of that, but uh, – So he would be around the club every now and then for social events, but never for golf. He knew the game and watched it on TV, but it wasn't a player, still not a player. I'm still the only player in my family, which I've probably done a terrible job of growing the game in that (laughs) aspect. Um, But honestly, I I was in middle school, and there was a group – I had a group of friends who – we, we were hanging out with some of our girl, the girls, right? And they had their dads were members at the club, and they had all their had all their own private carts. So we just went started going to the golf course with them just to hang out with the girls and ride around the golf course in these golf carts, and ended up falling in love with the game while I was there, and um, got a job uh, working with Larry Ward as a volunteer when he opened up Stonecrest in Prestonsburg, Kentucky. And so when it opened up, I just kind of stood out the backdrop not unpaid and just to make tips and at that back then it was uh, a pretty lucrative gig i would much rather been out there than in the golf shop
0: yeah that's got to be what the mid late 90s early 2000s and that's when golf was hopping that's when a a cart staff could actually make a you could make a living doing that
1: yep yeah i think i was oh two or oh three i was up there um, so I got into it and then, uh, it's funny because there's a lot of Eastern Kentucky in central Kentucky golf. And I don't think people realize that, but you've got the Connollys at cherry blossom and they're all from Paintsville. And when I was at, uh, Paintsville country club, um, I'm sorry. When I was playing golf, I started working for Larry Ward at Stonecrest up on the mountain. And about that time, uh, Luther Conley, who's at Cherry Blossom now, asked me if I wanted to come uh, wash carts and, and do those kind of things at Paintsville. And so I said, sure. It was only about a mile from my house at the time. So I was like, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. So I, I came down, and he was paying cash. There you go. So like, Absolutely. So that was that was awesome. And then I was there. It was maybe three or four months, and that was when Luther decided. I think they started a golf cart business or something before he made it down the Georgetown way. And actually, Larry Ward, who's from Paintsville as well, I don't know. I'm making a complicated story. Came to Paintsville Country Club, and I just kept working for him. And to be fair, I've never really stopped working for him. The way the rest of my career advanced, I went to um, graduated high school, worked for Larry at Paintsville Country Club through high school, and uh, graduated high school, went to Moorhead for a year, and then I decided I wanted to transfer to U.K., and when I transferred to U.K., about that time, uh, Larry decided he – years ago, he used to work at Off here in Lexington. Right. And he decided he was going to go back to Manowar. And he said, well, we're both down there. Why don't you come over there and work for us there? And so I worked at Manowar through college and just kind of moved up the ranks uh, from working in the, in the shop to teaching. I, I did some instruction with uh, Tenney War over there for some U.K. classes and really fell in love with the business side of golf. And um, I kind of got the job at Manowar where you manage the business aspects of things. And... Um, we got into not only managing the range there at Man of War and the instruction program, but we got into managing other properties around the state that were being foreclosed on by banks.
0: Yeah, you were were there. Uh, I want to get into that. I'm glad you brought up because you have an insight to the to the business side of golf that I don't think many people would understand. So Man of War Golf, for those outside of Central Kentucky, is a standalone practice facility, and it is world class um, with uh, it has hit has lighted heat hitting bays for winter and in inclement time. It has how many people could you get on all three tiers? A couple hundred spaces to hit on green on green grass in season. Um, teaching facility, junior program, but it, no golf course attached to it. It's just a, a practice facility. Right and. and You know, coming up through that, and then you also touched on the other thing I wanted to bring up, which was the managing distressed properties. I mean, you're right there in the mid 2000s, late 2000s. What what were the keys to that? Because you guys had everything from public daily fee to formerly privately owned uh, courses that you were asked to, to take over and manage. What what do you remember most vividly from those experiences?
1: Well, you know, at the time I had very little business experience and um, I was working – when I was working with Manowar, there was a, a, one, the ownership group at Manowar is a lot of horse farm and horse owners. And so one of the CPAs that is kind of the business manager for one of our – the horse farm owners there, his name's Pat DeLuca, and he's a uh, brilliant money man, right? And he taught me – if Larry Ward taught me all the stuff about golf – and I would also say Brad Bashan taught me a lot about golf. I don't want to go out without mentioning him. But Pat taught me how to be an accountant. And I've had very little accounting classes in college. Um, but today I feel like I could almost sit for that CPA exam just from the stuff that you, kind of like baptism by fire. Um, he taught me kind of in the know and what's real and what you know. I'm not going to be able to do your tax work, but learning the accounting side of all that through him just through managing manual work off. Um, it has been invaluable when we started applying it to other things. And in 2010, um, we had a relationship with Central Bank, and we had a relationship with some of the members at Champions. And uh, Central Bank reached out to us to come. The Champions had kind of – it was right around that 2008 when the economy crashed and um, private clubs everywhere were having trouble. And – uh, the club was member-owned, which is an interesting position for a club at that level to be in, anyway. And I can go into that if, if you want to. But uh, we made some connections there with the bankers and also through our relationships with the members. And they reached out to us to come take a look and see what if we could help. And that just kind of led to us. Them, them, the club ended up giving the keys to the bank, and they invited us in to, um, to manage it while they tried to find a buyer. And we operated it for about three years and got it back up on its feet and got some members rolling in. And then at the beginning of 2000, January 1, 2014, the current owners of King Trace Golf Club bought Champions and bought King Run, combined the two and made, made a made uh, one club out of it, which is what stands now. Right. And uh, so us at Manwar, we kind of took a step back and congratulated them, helped them every way we could. And we went on to other projects. And that's when we got into, you know, we had the Duckers Lake property in Frankfurt for a little while with Whitaker Bank, and we we managed um, Andover Country Club there last year um, with Whitaker, and we we ended up just getting into this because we were the only team that was kind of working on it, and we'd seen some of it, and so we were trying to just help wherever we could with with the ideas and the some of the. Series we had and it, it worked for the most part
0: you know where i, I want to circle back to what you said about the membership and a, a club kind of on the level of champions back then but you know right now we're in a situation where we don't know what it's going what the golf industry is going to look like in three months six months three years um you know a lot of that distressed asset stuff is flushed out through the pipeline but do you think that's all of a sudden just going to pop back up um seeing that or do you think we're in a we've, we're in a lessons learned situation and and people are marginally better prepared uh, to deal with something like what we've got right
1: now i would say your average clubs were nowhere prepared for what this was uh, only because and I, and I say that about a member-owned club at that level there's a certain level of club where money's not an issue where we have to figure out ways that we need to spend money this year and then there's clubs that are operating on a such a shoestring budget that you know the slightest repair that needs to be made is going to send them over the edge and in situations where it's a club that doesn't have an enormous amount of money and it's and it is a little tighter the reason I, I, I say it can be an interesting situation is because when you have um, generally in a private club and I don't know that this would be a popular take so we'll see what happens <laughs> but generally when you have a private club you've got a lot of alphas that are at the at the club Generally, it's people that's had some success in whatever industry they're in. And so then you ask to choose nine of them to be your board members. And those nine board members make your major decisions in operating the club and the direction it goes in and how money's spent and all that kind of things. Well, if there's no other business, like if me and you started a business and we had seven other partners, nine of us in the room, and we spent millions of dollars – and it didn't work and it started to go under well there's no way that any of us could just say well you know what I'm done with it and wipe your hands and walk away and no harm no foul it doesn't work like that but in the club private club industry if I've got nine alphas in the room and we're making decisions and it things start to go south you can just quit the club and it's no harm no foul
0: right you're just out whatever equity investment you had from however many years ago that you've been in um you know, a, a, and I think what you say is important. You've got your, your old line kind of blue blood clubs in a lot of markets, and then you'll have, uh, like you say, maybe a, a middle market club where you've got some successful business people, but it's, it's not a, a they're not in the financial capital situation to just endure a bunch of bad decisions. Um, exactly right. And how much does that sort of in that space, what's the interplay between the professional staff and the board you know it, it, uh,
1: generally the general manager is the uh, is the relationship to the board and most of the time boards are asked not to give direction direct direction to staff that it should go through the board to through the general manager to his, his or her staff is the general setup there because you can get into some rocky areas you know in this climate i think that What's What you're going to see, especially in clubs that are owned like that, I'm very, very lucky to get a own, to get, to get a work for two private owners.
0: Yeah, you're, private you're in now. a benevolent dictatorship as opposed to a member-owned situation.
1: Yes, and it's beneficial in a lot of ways, and I can go into some of that. But um, I think what you're going to see in some of these member-owned clubs, what's going to happen is generally there's an operating budget and there's a capital budget. And the operating budgets, the, most of the, your clubs are nonprofits, so the operating budget is meant to be a dead break even. Right. And then when you see clubs do assessments or add on uh, extras to the bill that is capital, that's that goes straight into a capital budget where they would only spend that money to renovate the pool or do um, drainage work on the golf course or anything that's not part of that operation.
0: Right, not, not your, your yearly expenses, not an annual expense, something you're saving up for. The, the the home equivalent would be saving up to put a new roof on your house exactly. as opposed to buying the groceries.
1: Exactly. And so what's, what I will suspect that we'll see is you're going to have a lot – member-owned clubs mean that if the club loses money, the members have to put money in. Just like if we had owned a business, we lose money, we have to put money in. And so that's when you see some of these assessments that roll in that often scare potential members and potential members off from clubs because the assessment can be you know what what your deficit ran if you didn't manage your your money properly can run major dollars.
0: Yeah, that's four or five figures pretty easily.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. And and so now what you'll see with from this especially, you know, golf courses through all of this stuff with COVID-19, the golf courses for the most part in Kentucky have been able to operate with some some changes in how we clean things, how we prepare for things, how close we get to people, things like that. But where it has hit clubs is in events, so you're not able to do weddings, you're not able to do outings, and most of the time in the food and beverage industry in the club, you're trying to break even or just try to limit your loss as little as possible. It's an amenity, and the reason you can even do that is because your weddings and events roll in, well, now clubs that – can't have those waiting events and they're having a $50,000 wedding <laughs> yeah that's a $50,000 weddings and tell me how you feel as a GM <laughs> Yeah,
0: you know, and we've got several uh, that's something I wanted to bring up later too because we do have several clubs that thrive on that outing business uh, mm-hmm. That you know it's a significant portion of their their business model um yeah a lot of I, I think the the division between the haves and the have nots through 2020 is only going to get wider um they just as a, a layman, you know you're. You mentioned you're in a perf- pretty sophisticated business model there. You have private owners, uh, and you're a GM of a club that has two courses. So you've got a lot of real estate to manage. Um, your I, I was trying to come up with a list of your constituents. You have your paying members and families. You have your staff you have adjacent landowners because both courses technically are residential now they're not you know they're they're two of the better residential courses you play because the houses don't intrude uh from a players from a selfish player standpoint but you know you do have construction and um you know those sorts of things you have not only golf operations, but you guys down at Keene keep growing. You've got workout facilities. Um, I know a pool. I don't, I don't know. I can't remember if I've seen tennis courts over there or not.
1: Yeah, we've got two tennis courts. We've got, so not So we've got, like you said, I'll give you kind of our plug on the club. Um, Keene Trace Golf Club, we're two courses, one club, and we're all inclusive. Which means, So the idea is to make it really easy and really um, – we want to just encourage you make remove any barriers that wouldn't have you or your family coming out. And even if you've got an hour, come spend an hour with us. And so when I, so we have the Keen Run course, which is just off Harrodsburg Road. And about a mile as the, crow, as the crow flies, we have the Champions course, which is off of Delaney Ferry Road in Nicholasville. And our members can play either one. They can go back and forth. And then as a part of our due structure, all everything's included. It's all-inclusive. So at most clubs, what you'll see is I pay my dues line every month. And then when I want to come play golf, uh, I pay you a 20 or $25 cart fee each time I come. We threw out the cart fee, we threw out the range fee, locker fees, there are no other fees here. When you pay your dues line, all we ask you to do is come, show up and enjoy your golf with us. Enjoy the club. So if you have time, like for you, I know you've got two sons. If you had if you wanted to bring your sons out and you know they're not gonna go eighteen you know they're not going to go 18 holes. They may not make it nine holes, but you've got enough time to play two holes, right? right? And you guys come spend a few minutes on the putting green. You can go play two holes. You don't have to worry about, well, I'm not going to go over there for two holes and pay $25 cart fee for two holes. Well, what am I doing, right? But in our set- setup, we get a lot of people that do that. We get a lot of couples that do that. We get a lot of families that do that because the big complaint is – there's not enough time to play golf. I don't have four and a half hours to go play or four hours to go play. Well, don't play four hours. If you've got an hour, come spend it with us.
0: You know, at a private club, you can get nine. You know, if if things are moving well, you might get nine holes in on a, a weeknight uh, in you an
1: know, hour. I'll tell you something that that blows my mind. We've got we we kind of bend a little bit from traditional stuff sometimes, and we'll allow some fivesomes to go mm-hmm. only because uh, let's see last week the fivesomes were playing in three and a half hours at Keen runner and they're but we've got everybody in their own golf cart, and they're playing a game where you know they're they're picking them up pretty generously, huh. but still, five-some fivesomes playing in three and a half—that's that's moving.
0: <laughs> you should, was Mark Phillips in that group? He's one of my best friends, and he does not tolerate the slow play.
1: <laughs> yes, he very well could be. <laughs> But anyway, so we have the two courses. Um, we also have the pool is at the Keen Run course. We have a brand-new fitness center that's at the Keen Run course that has its own standalone. Um, we launched a business – so the gym is a two-story facility. The top floor is what you would imagine a, an open workout, you know, go in and use the run on the treadmill, use the machines, lift weights. And the downstairs uh, is – a we opened up a – as a part of the club, it's called Core Fitness. And what we do is we teach – Fitness classes. It's very boutique fitness classes, HIIT training, yoga, um, uh, spin classes. And we have a director of fitness. Her name's Abby Kearns. And my partner uh, here at the club that helps manage this whole operation, her name's Lauren Vernon, who's uh, I got the greatest staff in the world here. And um, they are making a big impact with that gym facility and has been a major, major. amenity here for
0: us. I, I can, I can only imagine that that's, you know, seeing that grow just through your, your social media feed. you know, we're, we're a YMCA family. That's where I go and hide when I'm not on the golf course, but, but seeing how comprehensive that gym has gotten has really made that a, a tempting, uh, it, it
1: blows my mind. Well, and it, well, the biggest benefit is, is lots of times in the club industry, there's always a man looking to get in the golf game. Like that's the predominant lead that you get at a club, right? Is is a male, 40-year-old male looking to play some golf and what can we do for his family? Well, having a setup with core fitness and the gym there and the pool, now I've got the wife and the family that is intrigued by what we're doing. And so that's actually been a draw for us to bring men in to play golf. And not that we're only going for men in golf, I'm just talking about the predominant. Sections, but it's it's bringing in a whole new level of leads for a membership or a new, um, I guess just a new uh, group of people that we're attracting to Club Life.
0: Do you guys own your food and beverage or is that something?
1: We don't okay. We don't. Uh, so we partner with a gentleman named Yancey Markham and he owns Keen dining and events. And so we farm that out. Um, but I will tell you Yancey's such a good partner. He acts as my food and beverage director. He still comes to our staff meetings and acts like a department head. And so it's a very um, uh, we're all very close and work really closely together.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, earlier, you mentioned that you started working for Larry. Now, you have well, on the back side of the range, there's the high, perf- at Keene, you've got the high performance training academy and you've got some, I mean, you've got some world class teachers back there. That is something that, as far as I know, didn't really exist except at the, the really highest level 10, 15, 20 years ago, where you had these sort of. You know, it, it was used to be the old pro model, a jack of all trades, and now you've got these teachers. Uh, what is that interplay like, and what does that do for your members? Uh, what do you, what's the feedback you get on uh, sure. on that operation?
1: Well, that's kind of another. Uh, I could go list through list all of our mentees. We're we're in so many doing so many different things here at the club. But, so one of the other things we have, we have the gym down there. We've got the academy, and the academy we have Larry Ward, who's a multi uh, teacher of the year here in Kentucky, and is is known as one of the best in the country. Um, we've got um, Tyre York who is the uh, ladies coach at Transylvania University and is also, a, I think, a two-time Kentucky Teacher of the Year. We have Grover Justice out there who um, is a – it's he gets, every year he gets the exemption to the Barbasol, not because we're giving it to him, but because he's earning it through the section. He's the player of the year every year in the section and is and has a, a stacked book of great players. And we also have Meyer Blackwelder out there, 1980 LPGA Tour Rookie of the Year. And so she's got some great women's programs that she's doing. And, you know, they do like when we get into doing club fittings and instruction for our members and things like that, they handle all that stuff. And they're they're knowledgeable. They are the best in the business at what they do. And, you know, they have we call them um, stables of players like we refer to them as horses. And I can't tell you many instructors that have better stables than than those four do
0: how big a club you guys don't you don't have to tell me how many members you have but just generally speaking to support kind of the specialization you're talking about where it's you mentioned it as a hierarchy as department heads in sections how big a club nowadays do you have to have in a market like kentucky to to kind of pull that off
1: well i guess it depends on what kind of level of club you want to provide if you want to a More public experience, it wouldn't take all that much. We here at King Trace, we have about 650 members, okay? Um, that's over two golf courses. And, um, you know, we can probably take I get asked all the time what's full, and I don't really have an answer to them on what's full. Um, I think the number's probably around 750 or 800, but that is, um, it's going to be solely based on how busy the T sheet is. I mean, we've just recently we went to it this bit we generally try to not do tea times and just have the tee open for players. And and it has worked out very well outside of the weekends at champions. Um, we went to tea times there, but as long as my don't need tea times, I'm going to keep taking members because it's not causing an issue sort of thing. Right. Gotcha. It's really great. Cause even with the Academy, the membership utilizes the Academy a lot, um, but the Academy, even if you're not a member at King trace, you can still take instruction at that, at that Academy, which also creates, you know, uh, some leads to come into the business. And, um, it, once you spend it, you've had, you've had plenty of golf construction in your life. You spend an hour with somebody on something as intimate as your golf game. You're going to either, you're not going to, if you didn't enjoy your experience, you didn't learn anything, you're not going to be coming back very often. Right. But if you did, you now start to trust that person um, with your game, which is a great time to say, "Well, I'm here every day. If I'm Larry Ward, I'm here at the club every day. I think you should join here and be a member." And they can also be a salesman for the club to 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 get more people in here. I would say that one of the great things that the academy's done for the club is we have become a junior hub of Central Kentucky of all Kentucky as far as I'm concerned. I would put up my junior players up against about anybody in the – any other club's uh, junior players in the state that I don't think they're going to be able to play with my junior players. Um, They're just – they're too good, you know, and they're out there playing and competing against one another every day, and they're on the putting green just having putting matches every day. And It's it's the old adage of iron sharpens iron. If you're a junior player – I've said it before. I'll make bold statements, but if you're a junior player and you're not playing here, you're – The best players are here.
0: You know, and you guys have a little bit of advantage there because as you mentioned earlier, you're about a mile apart from – both courses both regulation well, really championship length 18 hole courses the only other one i know of in the state is over in louisville the big spring you know and, and but that's more i almost consider that more the traditional model of the city club and the the country club you know one's big spring which is a very urban core now the way that louisville has grown and then harmony landing campus is way out in, in oldham county mm-hmm. you guys are are pretty tight there so there's not a you know, if you've got an event going, you've got the advantage of okay, well, everybody, you know, after school they can just ship over. Oh, you've got a an, a scramble that's going long over at Keene. Okay, head over to Champions or vice versa. Um, it sounds it seems like a place you can always get a game or always get instruction or or always have access to, uh, you know, the golf course.
1: Yep, yeah, we we are open seven days a week. So all your private clubs will take one closed day for a maintenance day. Usually it's Mondays. Um, we're open seven days. So we are closed at Champions on Mondays, and so on Mondays, all the play shifts over to Keen Run. And then we're closed on Tuesdays at Keen Run, so all the play shifts over to champions, but we will play every day of the week. Lots of times we'll use those time those Mondays and Tuesdays closed days too. That's when we'll go out and sell a golf outing. So we've got a lot of charitable partners that we work with um, and organizations that want to raise money. so they they bring, you know, the nicer club they go to seems like the more money they can raise. And so we'll we'll sell those spots for um, uh, for outings, which has been a really great. Um, we started a charity last year around the uh, Barbasol Championship, and we called it Caddy 127. And so we we've always kind of joked, and we've made some logos around a, an idea called King Cares, just like you know the NBA cares or NFL cares, King Cares. But it became real when we launched Caddy 127. We got these other charities involved. Uh, Caddy 127 is made up of five local charities. It's UK um, Children's Hel- uh, Network. It's uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, uh, the uh, Woodhill Community Center over on the other side of town. Mm-hmm. It is a refuge for women and all God's children. And Caddy 127 was built around the idea that uh, the tag, the slogan on it is nobody should walk alone. And just like a, you have a caddy when you play, you know, helping you find your golf ball or rake bunkers or just be there to support you. That's what we wanted to be to um, um, the women and children around our area that we don't want them out there walking alone. So we've worked with them not only to pump some funding into them, but also just get the word out about them and get some marketing out about them so they can get other funding. Um, from donations and things like that and just being a part of that along with the other outings that we host to help raise money it's more about this club's more about just the golf and the membership and what you would what you would think about at a general private club we're doing other things where now we're even taking money out of every club event we have we'll take five dollars or so out of every entry fee and put it in the Caddy 127 fund because not only the staff and ownership but the members here have bought into it a lot too which is it's just something special to be a part of as a group and a community versus just being, okay, I'm your golf provider. Uh, anybody can be your golf. There's a lot of competition out there to be your golf provider, you know?
0: Very, very true. And good on you guys for making that such an important initiative. You know, you mentioned Tyus a minute ago from the Academy and his relationship with Transylvania, you know, in this area, you guys are a big provider and a big host for local events. I mean, you've had KGA events, uh, I want to say you've had a KB PGA event, but, um, yeah. you know, hosted college. Now champions has a long, that course has a long history of hosting, uh, you know, big events, but, uh, it's nice to see one of the local clubs really step up for the amateur game, essentially juniors, college events, mm-hmm. um, amateur statewide events. Talk to me a little bit about how how that has remained in emphasis and, and what that what that does for the club, what the members' reactions typically are uh, for things like that.
1: So what we did – so we've hosted – some of the recent ones we, we hosted. Champions hosted the 2015 Kentucky Open was a recent one. We hosted uh, – at Keen Run, we hosted the State AM in 18, I believe – 17 or 18. We hosted the State AM. Um, We last year was really fun. We had a packed year last year because, (laughs) you know, of course, you know, we are host to the the P.J. Tours Barbersaw Championship in July. But last year, before we put in and tried to get the the Barbersaw Championship, we had put a bid in to get the NCAA National Championship Division three partnered with Transylvania. And so we had kind of – we got the call that we were getting the Barbasol championship, and, you know, three or four months later, we got the call that we got the NCAA national championship. And so then we were like, oh, okay. Yeah, you forgot to withdraw that bid, didn't you? No, uh, <laughs> we didn't want to withdraw it because, I, first of all, I can't say enough about Brian Lane and Holly Sheely and Lee Oakley and some of the – and the entire groups that, that are at Transy that we work with on it. But we, we kept it in. So in May of 2019, we hosted uh Division Three national championship followed by a PGA Tour event in July. And the funniest part about that is the fight for T-Space between the Tour and the NCAA. You know, the Tour puts restrictions on us. like They only want us to see us use the the first two-thirds of the driving range of champions so we can preserve some of that for the Tour until July, right? Well, if I put 120 uh, collegiate golfers at the same golf course, that does, And i have and number one and most important, let me be clear, is our membership. So I, I, there were some trade-offs that had to be made between the two on how much tee space we were going to use.
0: Well, you know, you've still got a full head of hair, so it seems like you navigated it, it okay. I was worried, you know, you, <laughs> yeah, you guys were very busy, uh, and th- that's kind of wanted wanted to get to is the is the membership generally okay with that or did they take the pride in it that you hope they would or are, are you fending off you know hand grenades standing in, in the shoes of the owners and, and the staff kind of taking flack from these guys
1: i would say uh, so there's certainly some grenades out there but they're not there's not they're not as impactful as the positivity that the membership has about us doing some of this part of it is bringing some prestige back to the bu- back to champions and you know Keen Run's still a new course and it hadn't really hosted a bunch of big events you know that that state am that we hosted in 17 I believe it was a um, that was a big moment just because we hadn't hosted that event and now then we played it when we played those NCAA the NCAAs they played both courses it was a dual course theme where half the field would be at uh, Keen Run and then the, and half the field champions the next day they flipped and then we played the final couple rounds of champions so that, that was a big deal but the membership, honestly, we, we manage it to where like when we do the outings, they're never affected by the outings because we play them on closed days at the opposite course. And when we get into things like the NCAA, that's kind of a one-off one year. It's not an every year because that did require us to shut down both golf courses for about a week. And But honestly, we had a lot of our members volunteer for that event. And with the, with the Barbasol Championship, that's the other big one that causes, you know, I say we're open seven days a week except for the two weeks that we're preparing and hosting the Barbasol Championship. And that uh, King Run's still open, so everybody can still go play King Run. Uh, but Champions is closed for those two weeks um, as we prepare for that. But, again, our members volunteer. They support it. They get it. They also know us hosting some of these outings helps keep the dues down because we don't have to come to them to make sure in in an assessment standpoint. And and like some of these other clubs do, we're going after these big time events, one for the prestige and the want to host events like that. Um, But also it it helps us manage our budgets to where we don't have to make dues and an exorbitant amount of money um, because we can supplement them with these outside this outside stuff
0: sitting in the gm chair what is your what has been your role and your experience with the pga tour event you know it, it i would assume the owners are, are fairly hands-on or involved in that process and negotiating and and managing the tour and then i guess there's a, a local uh, well you tell me is there, I, I know there was a local management company the first year i don't know how that's sort of evolved uh, this would have been the third year for it correct yep okay so yep. tell me a little bit about the tour
1: So owners are definitely involved in, in our conversations with the tour and, um, the tour is a lot of fun to work with. I I think for me, I'm a young GM. And so, uh, sometimes when I say I'm the GM, I kind of get like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Because they are not expecting me to be young. Um, but, they're very fun to work with, and it's really exciting. You think like I thought I knew how the tour operated, even like how the business setup is with the tour, but it's really it's really different because like each each tour event around the country is owned and operated by an, an, a proprietary group. So if you're playing the John Deere, the tour doesn't own these events.
0: So if somebody tour, in Quad Cities, a committee owns. The John Deere. Okay. Yeah.
1: And so the, the tour, the entire business of the tour and what's most important to the tour, I would say, or what is the business of the tour is they are made their business, really the membership of the player. They're a membership group and their job is to give players on tour opportunities to play each and every week, which is how you end up with an opposite event like the All championship, because there's only so many that can qualify to get into the open, the British open. And so, um, first learning that aspect at first was that the tour doesn't own all these events and they're all separate entities. And the tour is really just made up of the circuit that goes around, you know? And so then you jump in with a group and the first year we had uh, BD global and uh, now the operations group is uh, GGM global golf management. And Brian Pettigrew is our tournament director now. And uh, so Going out and selling the sponsorships for the event. Now, the tour generally has the title sponsor worked out, um, but any of the secondary sponsors uh, that come underneath that title, um, that's all locally done. Uh, so it's it's that group's job. It's our the club's job to go out and sell those sponsorships to be able to make that happen. Um, but on the other side is the tour gives us a lot of charity money. Uh, well, there's a lot of potential charity money to be able to give out. And so where our hearts were with the tour was, one, we wanted the event – it, actually, it's kind of funny how this event came about because originally we were kind of – we never thought we had a chance at getting a tour event. Our hope was to get a web.com event, web.com at the time, Corn Ferry Tour Now. And, and uh, one, of the, one of the tour officials uh, called up uh, BD Global's group and said, well, how would you feel about getting the, uh, a big boy event? I'm like well, what do you, you know? Of course we're intrigued. Tell us more. And so it kind of, to be honest with you, my first year back at this club was in 2017, and I think we got that news about halfway through that year. So my first year being the sole GM, I get a piece of <laughs> dropped in my lap in the middle of the summer, and I'm going, holy cow, how did this happen?
0: Yeah, that was a quick turnaround. This was the. For people that may not know, the Barbasol was the event, it's the opposite field event for the, the Open Championship over across the pond. And it had been hosted by the Robert Trent Jones Alabama Golf Trail. Um, and it, it had been played down at, at Grand National. And then I don't know what that was, but they didn't renew that contract. Uh, you know, Alabama took some time away because they had an LPGA event too. Um, and then all of a sudden, yeah, you land with the Barbasol in your lap. Um, and it is the, you know, from a personal experience, it is the circus coming to town. I was a shot link volunteer that first year and seeing, you know, just seeing the craziness of the logistics alone for something like that. And I want to get into that with you too. But, uh, yeah, sort of expound a little bit on, yeah, halfway. What was your lead time to really get the course and the infrastructure and everything ready for that first barb So
1: we made the official announcement was in October of, uh, 17 and we had found out, uh, was, and you can't really go work on it until, until you make that announcement, right? It's not real to everybody. And so the announcement was a lot of fun. We had a ton of people show up for it. We had a big, a big, um, um, monitor that showed a big press conference. A lot of the tour officials came to town. Uh, We played a little nine hole skins game where um, we had some of the tour players that came and played that nine hole skins game just as kind of a launch of this event announcement of it. But then we really kind of had a short, a short runway to then go out and sell it and, and to put it on and kudos to BD global and, and Brooks Downing for bringing it here and to, and to getting it up and going. And, um, Anytime you have a short runway, it can be stressful uh, when you're trying to put on an event of that magnitude, and you, you just got to you got to form a lot of relationships and develop them really quickly, and uh, so then you get into. Um, the tour wanted to make some changes and, and we went, it got into year two, and we felt like we had a much better case, uh, better runway or longer runway. But even then, we went through a tournament director change and, and setting all that stuff up and getting through the, the, the changeover that you all, we almost got left with a kind of a short runway even for year two. It was funny because in year one of the bar, we joke around here as a staff and say we've never got, I, I still don't know what a normal year looks like working with the tour because our first year we had such bad storms. Uh, we basically had a tornado come through, I think on this, uh, Friday or Saturday of that week. And we had to hire tree companies to come out and just help us get the trees up, uh, get plague one. It was bad. And so, and then you, you know, you have to, you have to uh, evacuate the property and you're putting them on, you're putting the spectators on and the fans on buses. And once you put them on the bus, it's like, well, I don't know if they're coming back now, you know? And so then you get to year two and again, we have a bit of a short runway and, um,
0: then we you just got new growing. you got new greens in there in that process too, right? You had the Hills company come back and and redo. I mean, that's that's got to be stressful. It's like, are these babies gonna grow?
1: <laughs> oh, with the you say the greens? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we actually did that. They 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 rebuilt the greens back in right as soon as they bought the club. That was in 2014, 2015, I believe. Okay. Before I came back to the club, but they we had killed out. There was a lot of Poana in the greens at Champions. And even from my time being at Champions before, I knew – Carl Gray was our superintendent then who's fantastic at what he does. And they um, – I knew how hard it was for him to manage that POA because you just got to be on top of it, watering it, hand-watering it all the time. So I know it was a real blessing to him to do the the, – they fumigated the greens out, killed them out, and then um, did the new uh, V8 bent grass on the greens, and they're just – they're spectacular now. Um, but we, did, we we went through a bunch of course renovations, actually, after that, leading up to the first year we we hosted it. We had to put in several, I think, seven new tea boxes to extend the course out a little bit. We did some rock work around the greens to stop some erosion, and we did a lot of bunker drainage work um, as well.
0: You know, and it showed because, as you mentioned, there were – that there was just a tsunami of water that first year, and that you were able to get that. We had a Monday finish, but that you were able to get it finished really took. I mean, that was not a miracle, but it took a lot of people putting a lot of extra effort into that.
1: Yes, sir. Um, and then we got into year two, and it was so hot. It was hotter, <laughs> than, you know, than I think anybody expected it to be, and. I think we were it around, right around hundred all week, and so you know, like, so the first year we get storms, the next year we get extreme heat. And it's like we don't really know what this looks like on a on a just a great you know sunshiny week and give me eighty five degree weather. And now we get twenty twenty and we've had to cancel because of COVID nineteen. It's like I don't know what a normal year looks like for <laughs> to be honest with you.
0: You guys just look at this. What well, you guys are due in twenty twenty one, it's going to be spectacular. The the birds are going to be singing songs. Everyone's going to be comfortable. Uh, It's going to be great. What do you –
1: I'd like to say that – I say all that, but all those – all the events, the two events that we've hosted so far, they've been great successes. We've got to give some money to the charities. Uh, The players have really enjoyed uh, the golf course here, which has been great to hear, and uh, the tour has been really happy with it. So it's been – even though we've had some challenges, it's actually been a great success so far.
0: Yes, but yeah. Please don't let me make it sound like it's been terrible. No, no it's been not fun, not. And, and the community I think has has engaged, and and you know we're happy to have something. I, I know there's some big brother, little brother jealousy that Louisville occasionally hosts. Uh, you know, it's got Valhalla there, which is the the big host course there. Well, now we've got our own deal, which is. Um, Having lived in both places, I kind of see that undercurrent of, well, we can do that too. You know, whatever Louisville can do, we can do as well. You know, Kingland's nicer than Churchill Downs. We've got an every-year event. You guys, you know, so it's it's a fun little interplay within the golf community, I yep. think. Yep. Uh, what do you, what does the average golf fan or, or even the member at your club, what do you wish they knew about that whole uh, PGA Tour hosting setup interaction like what doesn't what doesn't get reported or what don't people see that you, you kind of wish is a, a cool story that people knew or understood?
1: Sure, uh, I think the biggest thing for me that I would that I try to get across to my our members here, uh, especially and any anybody else is that like the reason we have the tour event that the, the club's interest in hosting that event is there's it's it's uh, probably it's definitely twofold. One, we're intrigued. It, our owners are so charity-based and just they have such good hearts to do stuff for the community that this has become a ministry for them. And the the opportunity to give the kind of money that we are going to be able to give away to the, to our charities in Caddy 127 that's probably the most that's what's become the most intriguing to us, to be honest with you. Um, the second part is just the marketing of the club. I mean, having a tour event um, at being played at your course or your club it brings some um, prestige to the place and i think that goes a long way when when we're trying to sell a membership or or trying to grow our business as a club you know having the tour being being your partner it it gives you some credibility and it gives you the people it kind of tells people okay they're doing things the right way they're not in financial trouble this is a safe club for me to join that's going to be a lot of fun that's honestly got a lot of extra benefits to it than just joining us your your standard private club you know, We give all of our members uh, special packages around the Barbasol championship where they can get into some different places and get to do some things and opportunities to do stuff with the players. And um, So the, my two biggest pieces to hosting the Barbasol that I want people to know, one, uh, we're doing it for charity. And two, we want to do it to grow the club because by growing the club, we get to make the club that much better all the time. Even like doing those renovations and some of those uh, some of the things we did with the golf course that needed to be done, we got to do a lot of that because of the tour event. And so the the members are benefiting directly. Yes, we got to give up our golf course for a week or two weeks, but you're, we're benefiting directly from the tour being here with some of these renovations that we get to do. That you know, I can tell you, some some old school champions members have been asking for for 20 years.
0: <laughs> well, I was gonna say when you can get a little capital contribution uh, and you know some expertise. Um I wanted to come to that on the Keen Run course. You know, that's a relatively new course. Um, is it is it due for any deferred maintenance? You know, that, that's one of my favorite designs, and I love. Uh, I'm Twitter friends with uh, Drew Rogers, and you know, one of the, the co-designers of that course. Um, how is it holding up? I guess under the stress of getting all that play uh, in the summers when you you have, uh, when you've got to give up the Champions course.
1: Okay. Keen Run is great and I would still say the play that we have I, I don't want to scare people off from I told you we had 650 members and I'm not trying to sell anything here but uh but we still only do roughly 30,000 rounds between the two courses. So the tees open for you. So it's not getting this massive stress on it. The things that need to be done at Keen Run, we, we've done some drainage work. We're right now we're wrapping up a tee uh, driving range project where we went out, we put new drainage in all of the landing areas on the driving range, so it would drain well. We put some drainage in the tee, we expanded our tee out, and uh, put some more Bermuda grass in on the tee. Um, we need to do. So we're going to do some drainage uh, projects on a few, two or three holes, and then we're going to put some new drainage in some of the bunkers uh, coming up over the next year or two. And, but other than that, honestly, Keen Run is holding up really, really well. Well,
0: that's great because it's, it's a fun track. It's a walkable track. Um, Very, other than that, tr- that tree on 7th Fairway, um, you know, uh, other than that, it's a really enjoyable
1: horse. Uh, course. We need to get rid of the tree on 17th and 17th Fairway and the tree on 7th Fairway.
0: I'm almost okay with 17. I can I can deal with that. That's there's a novelty there, you know. And you get, you know, you get a, a par five. But there's uh, if you ever look at an aerial for you listeners of of Keen Run Golf Course, uh, th- that part of Keen Trace, there's an old fence line on the adjacent property, and it probably continued across this golf property at one point. And in in somebody's infinite wisdom, they decided to keep one of those trees right in the middle of the fairway. And I try to aim at it so I don't hit it. But it it just uh, I can't do it. I I played out there maybe a dozen times. I've been very fortunate with events and friends to play out there, and that's it. That's the one.
1: To me, that's the aiming point. Aiming at aiming at the tree. It's bad luck if you get if the tree's affecting you at that point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, right.
1: I will think another thing that helps that helps with our course maintenance, and it's kind of two other little avenues that we have. That like I said, I can tell you more stories of how uh, I guess. This club's just different in how we do things. Is we we own our own sod farm. So off of the property of Keen Run, there's some horse farm there that our owners also own. And instead of that just letting it sit, that we decided that we were going to plant sod there and we grow and sell sod off that sod farm. It's called Sinking Creek Sod Farm. And, but what's great about it is, is anytime we have some uh, bad spots on either course or, or just need to redo an area, we just go cut our own sod up and take it up and put new sod down. And so it helps us um, if we do have a stress point on the golf course to, you know, put new stuff down right away uh, to go along with that. There's a. Uh, we are the franchisee for Dryject Kentucky. I don't know if you're familiar with the Dryject. Uh, yes,
0: but tell but tell all the listeners about it.
1: Sure. So we, uh, we own uh, Bluegrass Dryject Services, and Dryject is a national brand that uh, – it's, it's an airification system. So normally the dreaded word for all golfers is airification. And what airification does is usually you go in, and the classic way to do it is you go in, you have a machine that pulls cores out, you know, about – Uh, two or three inches deep, and then when – I'm sorry, maybe three or four inches deep. And then when uh, we come back through, drop sand on the green – And we then rake all that sand into the holes. And what it does is there can be a thatch that gets on a green that won't allow water and chemicals to um, soak in, to create healthy root systems, things like that. And when you break it up with that sand, it it creates the layers uh, that will allow water and chemicals to get down, fertilizer to get down in there to create healthier grass. So what DryJake does, instead of going through all the work of pulling the cores and then dropping sand and then having to rake the sand around, project is a machine that you push across the green or sports turf. It doesn't have to be a green. Um, and it shoots the, at a high impact shoots the sand down into the ground. Um, and so that creates those same channels with about half the work and it, it mends itself a heck of a lot faster. So for, yeah. uh, public courses that are going to miss that revenue for two or three weeks because they have, uh, nobody wants to play an air fried green, this heals more like in seven to ten days, and they get that revenue back that much quicker and get to play, and it makes members of private clubs a heck of a lot happier. I'm glad we're we are coming off the other side of verification both places, and I'm a happy man this week.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the the members will stop you know leaving angry messages and shooting dirty looks. It's
1: the um, necessary w- of golf.
0: It, it is, and, and that's that's something I think most i would think most ardent golfers understand that you know for the long-term health of your of your course that's something you've got to do um, you're saying you're just coming off of that uh, what have what are you seeing you know like you said you i don't know if you guys shut down at all or kept open have you picked up are your rounds up down about the same are you picking up new walkers um, with the cart restrictions
1: i would say our rounds are up Our our rounds are up a little just because the season seemed to have, you know, everybody wasn't working and we're, we're. For, we are very fortunate and thankful to be one of the only um, things that's left for entertainment, <laughs> entertainment wise,
0: and exercise, Yeah.
1: and exercise. And even you know the parks are now closed, uh, but we have been able to keep. And and I will say it's not us pushing through. The health department's made multiple visits and are very happy with what we're doing. Um, but as we've created an avenue of, of release for people and and relief even for people that they can come out and kind of stick to something that they've always done. But it really – with people being out of work or working from home, it's created a summertime feel around here you know, at the end of March, which is – it causes rounds to go. We had some great early weather there too, which helped. Right. Um, but rounds are certainly up.
0: Well, you've been very gracious coming on and, and letting us you know, have a peek behind the curtain of what the, the golf business is looking like right now. Uh, when's the last time you played golf?
1: Oh, I love that you asked me this question. So I generally have been, I think there's a misconception out there in the world. I know there is that if you work in golf, that means you play a lot of golf. And I can tell you, that's no, that couldn't be further from the truth on many different levels. Uh, but, Uh, I do have a great view from my office for golf, but this year it's funny because we've been really slammed and and just with everything that's going on. But this year I vouched that um, I was going to take one day a week and try to play with a group of members or just go out and enjoy the game. However I could. Uh, And so far I've gotten to play three times this year, all with groups of members. And I usually probably only average once or twice a month, Um, but I'm going to play 25 plus this year
0: you're well ahead of the game as far as head pros assistant pros people in you know teaching pros people in industry uh, anecdotally of all the guys I now there are a couple of pros here locally that are, are really active in the, the tournament scene the the local professional tournament scene but yeah if you get if you're getting out a couple times a month you're ahead of the game there yes now I will get you out on this I did a I did a short game episode just thinking about my golf daydreams. Like, once we get a vaccine or, or we get this COVID 19 under control, um, what the release is going to be. You know, my daydream is I'd head straight down to Mid Pines and Tobacco Road down in the Sand Hills, of North Carolina. That's where I'd go. Now, you can't say Keen Trace. You can't say you're going out there with members. But you're, you know, when you, never mind that pretty view out your window. When you close your eyes and think, God, when this is finally over and I can just go, if I could go play golf where I wanted, where are you going?
1: You're gonna laugh at this. My favorite place to play golf anywhere in the world, Paintsville Country Club, Paintsville, Kentucky.
0: Now, see, Stonecrest is in. It's probably in my top ten. Now, I've not played Paintsville, but I think getting down there on that mountain and just that fun. You know, it's just a pure fun layout. So I have a very easy time thinking that. Yes, I understand that Paintsville, going home, getting a little nostalgia for you.
1: Stonecrest is played on top of the mountain, and Paintsville is played like in the mountain. Like you go, you go. You're playing in the valley of all the mountains, right? On the totally on the front side, but just the people there. I love I love all my people there, and I love playing golf there, and I love taking like our staff like we. So a little tidbit we we had done those other projects for. Um, for banks, but we, uh, we, I've always been in the business of owning golf shops, just kind of around, right? Like if pros don't want to invest the money to own their pro shop, we have a pretty turnkey merchandising, uh, solution to how we do things or, or system that how we do things. And so actually Paintsville is one of the places that we own the golf shop. And so I would, uh, I'll take uh, one of our staff guys down there once a month or so and, because they, they look over the merch there, and I'll tell them about it just because I'm proud of it, and I think it's one of the most unique places as a golf course in Kentucky. There's a swinging bridge, so one on number 10 and number 17 of Painesville, you have to hit across the Big Sandy River, and there's a oh, swinging wow. bridge that connects the two. So you have to go across it, you have to drive your golf cart across the swinging bridge over, and drive it back over, and it's just, it, it, there's not, to me, there's no more unique course then certainly, if you pair them playing with Stonecrest, and you're playing one on top and one down low, I don't think any other two compare. Yeah, you know, that. Yes.
0: That's something I'm going to have to go see. Now, on the, I guess on the other side of the ridge, did you ever play in the Lynch Invitational? I did not. Okay, there's. It's talking about unique golf courses. That's something that's on my radar. I uh, used to work with some guys from Pike County. And every year there's a – I think it's a seven-hole golf course that was built for some – the coal executives way, way back, you know, uh, back in the – either in the interwar years or just after World War II. So um, – and it's cut into the side. You know, the Stonecrest that we're talking about is a mountaintop removal reclamation site. So they've, they've carved a, f- a flat spot on top of a mountain ridge up there. And, you know, I've not seen Paintsville, but how – have you been down to Wasioto? Cause that's one of my favorite Valley courses, you know, just, okay. It's, it's in Valley fill and they have some, it creates some water issues, but yeah, that, that difference between playing on top and playing on bottom is, um, yeah, a little different experience. The variety is the spice of life. And that sounds like a lot of fun.
1: There's no wind at Paintsville, a lot of wind at Stonecrest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? As much as I, I like to fashion myself, Stonecrest people, i that means I might be painful people. I had that experience <laughs> the other day. Um, Tyler, thank you so much for coming on with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll have to do a, a version two sometime to get into some of these stories.
1: I okay. hope we got yeah, you out I of here. I to you all day, I'm telling you. I love telling oh. stories.
0: I hope we got you out without getting you in trouble with the boss or with the members or with the wife or the little girl. So yeah, okay. uh, does she, has she taken up the game? I, I know she probably helps daddy around the shop some, but has she well, got any interest in putting the ball
1: runs with me out and about when we, in the evening time, especially when we're prepping for Barbasol, i put her in the back. She likes to ride in the basket in the golf cart, which is a <laughs> funny place, but it ends up working out really well, but she, she's got a little place there, but she hasn't taken to it quite like I hope she does. Uh, the, I there's feel still time. Her, I said, you, you can play and do whatever you want to, but you have to at least give it golf a chance because you're going to have some access to things that everybody else is not going to have.
0: Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> isn't that the truth? Well, again, I've been speaking with Tyler Van who's He's the general manager of the Keen Trace Golf Club here in the central Kentucky area. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good, Good luck for a, a best of 2020. Appreciate you. Marty, thank you to Tyler for taking the time to speak with me. A couple of things s- struck me about our discussion. His ideas were where the golf business is right now, and if we're going to be entering a period of parallels from the Great Recession. I thought that was interesting, especially coming from a guy that was at the time trying to manage courses on behalf of banks and creditors that took over a golf courses within the last decade. I thought that was particularly interesting. Two, the notion that rounds at his club up. I thought that was interesting. You know, there's an affluence to golf that I think perhaps I take for granted sometimes. People had nothing else to do, nowhere to go, so they went to the golf course, which here in Kentucky, technically were never closed. The Lexington courses may shut down their city courses, but all the privately owned enterprises were left up to the owners. Um, and it sounds like it paid off for the club. Members were able to get out and take advantage of some decent weather. I hope for all our sakes that the idea also of increasing the percentage of golf rounds that were walked uh, continues to increase that'd be a a silver lining to this whole uh tragic covid 19 situation Uh, for those wondering the champions trace course uh, portion of keen trace that's the one where the pga tour plays that's an arthur hills design and frankly for my money it's one of his best Uh, that's from the 80s as i mentioned it does have a housing component to it, but they are way set back from the golf course. Uh, so it is not a typical residential facility. It's got a lot of good movement, a lot of interest, a lot of intrigue, and unique features. Uh, so if you ever get the chance to play it, do take it up. The Keen Run course uh, is the newer course at Keen Trace. It's designed by Keith Foster and Drew Rogers. Uh, Drew's a University of Kentucky alumnus, so I always like to highlight his work. Uh, Tyler also mentioned Paintsville Country Club in his hometown. Do yourself a favor. Look that up on Google Maps. Paintsville Country Club. It's one of the quirkier layouts you'll ever see. Tucked into the, the hollers and the valleys of, of those Appalachian Hills in his hometown. Divided by a highway and a river. Yes, it's, it's a real trip. You know, But it's golf and that's enough. Hey. Thanks for stopping by another episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. Reminder that you can interact with the show on Twitter at BlindShotsPod or on the web at BlindShotsPodcast.com. That's where you can download episodes of the show directly onto your favorite podcast playing device. Uh, The show is also on all the major uh, podcast feed services, so be sure to check it out there if you haven't already. I hope you liked what you heard here and that you'll subscribe and share an episode with friends or family. Uh, If you didn't like what you heard here, Sorry about that. I can't do anything about it now, but I will try to do better the next time. I hope you'll join me that next time here on the Blind Shots podcast. Uh, Our next episode will be the second roundtable of the Americans in Scotland series. Uh, We're going to be covering Ely and Carnoustie. Uh, Again, two very special clubs and golf courses for very different reasons. So be on the lookout for that dropping next week. If you would like some interesting reading material on where the game and the golf business are right now, uh, Bradley S. Klein recently penned a wonderful three-part series uh, for MorningRead.com. He talked to people all across the golf industry trying to find anything that vaguely resembles a consensus about, I guess, the the current, the short-term, and maybe the the medium-term prospectus for golf and looking at how people might look at golf a little bit differently. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed them. I'd encourage you to check those out. I'll throw a link in the show notes. Most importantly, I hope you're all being safe and smart and sane out there. We will get through this, and someday this war is going to end. Until then, whether you're playing golf safely now or simply daydreaming about it, do decide to go for it and take dead aim.